0: We are continuing on in Hebrews chapter 12, so please turn in your Bibles there. We have intentionally, Daniel's been really helpful here, intentionally gone over these passages from the beginning of 12, but picks up all the way on 11, because this is the part where we get to see what daily life by faith, what living by faith really looks like. We've seen lots of examples, and hopefully they've been encouraging to you. But now, this is where the rubber meets the road, or the racetrack, because this is where we get to live. So, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read 3 through 11. This is God's word for us this morning. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or even faint-hearted. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Please pray with me. God, our Heavenly Father, we need to hear Your Word this morning. We need to hear You Speak to us about the life of faith. So Lord, I pray that my words would be set aside, that your word would be prominent, that these hearers this morning would see and hear and know you, that your Holy Spirit will be at work here, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we set the scene as this grand stadium moment, this finish line moment, where these runners, you and I, in a sense, were running the race. And we've gotten to this moment where we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses and we're coming into the finish line. And the camera flashes are going off. Okay, maybe for you. I don't have camera flashes, but maybe for you, you guys are, you have camera flashes and they're exciting and you're sprinting ahead and you're winded and that side cramp is, oh, it hurts and you're just wanting to get across the finish line. And then encouragement comes in this passage to look to Jesus, to not only look to him as we saw that that word in the last phrase back in in verse 1 of chapter 2 or 12, But now, in verse 3, to look to him and consider him, to think on him, to see what he means, this Savior who is seated on the throne, what he means in the right here and right now. Now, now we had to make this real because this isn't some uh, fanciful idea, it's not the the idealistic, theoretical version of races. It's the real life that y'all and that we are in. It's the messy, hard run. It sometimes feels more like an obstacle course with you know, people swinging foam giant things at us and shooting paintballs and tripping us and throwing banana peels. It's all of these things built into this race. Or more seriously, it feels like We're burdened down with weight, not just for training purposes, but heavy things in life. Why does life feel like this much of a struggle? Why does it seem to go one way for me and and a different way for somebody else? Where is God here in my suffering? Doesn't he see me? Doesn't he know? Doesn't he care? Why wouldn't he change this? And for the author, the preacher of Hebrews, he's encouraging his people like we need to be encouraged today too, is not to shrink back when things seem hard, when struggles seem difficult, when the weights seem more than we can bear. It's this time that we see the encouragement we need to press on and not shrink back. It's here in this exact passage to consider closely the endurance of Christ to know to deeply know the sovereign purposes of God as our Heavenly Father and to see how He is at work in our daily struggles. So my sermon in a sentence, if I can put it that way, is to consider our Savior remembering our Father and relying on the Holy Spirit to live daily with the loving discipline of our good and Heavenly Father. And along the way, I want these main points to Frame for us the application questions. So I hope they're very personal. I'm trying, hope you hear that I've wrestled personally with these application questions. I struggle with this passage in my daily life, not only as a son of a good father, but as a father of children. So let us consider our Savior. Verse 3 and 4. The verb there, consider him who endured. It builds right on the previous phrase that I didn't get time for last week, but that we cannot miss to set up this passage today. When we consider our Savior who endured, he's currently reigning on the throne. He's crossed the finish line. He has the crown of victory over sin and death. He's the one we're running towards. So consider him, it's not simply a think about him, tuck away a nice idea or a nice memory and then keep pressing on. It's to bring to mind what is true about the entirety of reality and to make it make sense right here and right now. To take the lordship of Christ that he's ruling and reigning on his throne and to make that make sense for that rock I'm about to trip over in our daily race. That's what it means to consider our Savior. It's to ask myself the question, who do I see when I'm looking to Christ in running this race? What do I think about? For some of us, that might be a pretty characterized, cartoony kind of picture. I'm not saying envision a picture of Jesus. I'm saying, what do we think about? Who are we running towards? The beauty of what Hebrews has done for us is it's given us a rich, vivid picture of this savior he is prophet priest and king he's our mediator and sacrifice he's the lamb who is slain for you and me as if we needed more motivation than what hebrews has given us that he is and consider him believe that he is there for me. Be assured of the reality that Scripture tells me and use that as the lens to see the world in front of me. But we have to get this personalized. What do I consider about Christ? What do you think of in terms of Jesus? Oftentimes we think of the past forgiveness that Jesus has given me, the sacrifice to forgive me of my sins. Salvation is not any less than that. But running the race of endurance is much, much more, or some of us think, well, maybe Jesus is what anchors my future. He's secured a place in heaven, so no matter how hard or turbulent or crazy life seems to be, at least I know I'm going somewhere. 100% true, not less than that. But in between your past forgiveness and your future glory is a present day reality that he no less rules and reigns over. He is real for right now in the hard race. He is the founder and perfecter of daily faith. That's where he is. His ruling and reigning on the throne is not a distant, far off or future Lord and king, but one that's ever-present, to give us endurance so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Oftentimes, weary and faint-hearted are a good day for some of us. Just another breath, another footstep. Another day in the office. Another argument with my wife. Another lost temper with my kids. Another struggle over there or challenge over here. But he says, look, consider, think of Christ's endurance so that our hearts don't fall into either rut of weariness, of feeling beat down, Or a faint-hearted. Literally, the word faint-hearted is weariness of soul. That's a whole other level. Because why? Because Christ, in his endurance, he endured all the way and beyond the point of shedding blood. The Hebrew author here is saying, y'all don't grow weary or faint-hearted because you haven't resisted in your struggle against sin. You haven't gone that far. Some of us sitting here today probably have. Your struggle against sin might have cost you career or relationship, challenge there, or even pain, persecution, retribution. But the call to endure is to not let weariness burden us down. He puts us in the frame and the analogy of running this race. And it's exactly there that we need to see the the specifics of how running races works. In in the word, he calls it the the race is the Greek word agona. We get agonize, which I don't know how you all feel. That's how I feel about running. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. Every single step hurts every part of my knee. I don't know how they endure But he's talking about, I think what he has in mind is the Greek, ancient Greek idea of the pentathlon. I didn't know this until I heard it, but there's the run. And if that's not bad enough, then you have to do long jump, discus, javelin. And then at the end, to prove and crown the champion, you get to wrestle. And it's not like the kind, you know, WWE wrestling. It's bloody till someone taps out because they ain't got nothing left. Some of us feel that way, and for those of us that maybe not run, but we do other kind of fitness or muscle training, you know in your muscles, the very point of weakness is where the muscle fiber is ripping and weakest, and where are you strongest? The moment after they start rebuilding. Now, that's not just a physical thing that we need to overlay onto the spiritual reality. That only works for our spiritual selves, for our souls not to be weary. If Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit are rebuilding our spiritual muscles, if we're relying on Him, if at the point of your weariness and your faint-heartedness, you say, I can't, and only through the the strength of Christ can I run another step. That's when considering our Savior allows us to take another step, allows us, motivates us, drives us, empowers us to run the race with endurance. The close comparison there that we cannot miss in verse 4. That in your struggle against sin, you haven't resisted the point of shedding your own blood. And it could be the comparison specifically to Jesus. It could be the comparison to others in the Hebrew, this audience's uh, context, that have been imprisoned, that have been beaten, that have been persecuted. I think the significance there is that in our struggle against sin, we need to be clear Every struggle does involve sin. But not every struggle you and I have is because of our sin. There is sin out there just like there is sin in here. And so we can rely on the Spirit to both point that out and empower us to do something with that. That we are not left to our own. We have the Holy Spirit's work there so that even if it's not in a comparison of my race and my struggle and my need to endure versus anybody else, even if I'm just thinking of the endurance that Christ had on my behalf, the call to endurance there is to think of how far Christ endured for you and I and what was the sovereign purpose in Christ's endurance. Why did God the Father have Jesus the Son endure everything he endured for you and me? It was absolutely to give us an example. Many books have been written that are really helpful on that idea. I think Paul's statement in Romans 8.32 that God had a plan and purpose in the sufferings of Christ so that he Who gave us Christ, will he not with Jesus give us all things? In other words, if God sets up Jesus as the example of how far he's willing to go to endure the cross for the glory of the Father, to submit to his will, and to mean something for you and I on a daily basis, will God the Father not with Jesus give us everything we need along the way? In other words, He's not only forgiven our past, He's not only secured our future, but He's done both so that we can see the here and now. We're called to endure those kind of hostilities, those kind of extremes, those kind of sufferings, because God has a purpose and a plan. That leads me to the second point of remembering our Father in this daily life of faith. Remembering our father. In verse 5 through 9, the author of Hebrews asks us, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addressed you as sons? The clear implication is there, if you've forgotten, guess what? Remember. Remember. And he quotes it for us in case we've forgotten. He's like that really kind teacher that says, All right, kids, you remember your homework? Huh? Oh, right, that. Okay, then here it is. Here's the point. Remember, what do I need to remember? I need to remember that our Heavenly Father has addressed us as sons. Sometimes we skip over that like it's an introduction to a quote. It does that. But here, the author of Hebrews is saying, you're not just people that need to consider Jesus. You need to consider Jesus as the son of your Heavenly Father. God the Father has addressed you as sons and daughters. Here's the point. In verse 5, he says, My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. I need to give two short caveats because this is hard for me to read on two different levels. And I want to be appreciative that in an audience like this, there are people that hear those words with different layers of maybe past hurt or current difficulties. First of all, when he says he addresses us as sons, that's not discounting all of the, statistically speaking, 50% of people in this room. He's not ignoring the daughters. He's actually saying from a cultural perspective in the, the ancient Greek and the Hebrew world, there's family, sons, and everyone else. He's saying, all of you, if you understand Jesus as your Savior, everyone else is brought up to the level of sons, you're given honor. You're given inheritance. But most importantly for this, you're given a relationship with God as your father. It's not ignoring the daughters. It's not ignoring any women. It's saying you're not treated that way in that culture. You're brought up to the level where you get the everything as children. Because the way that God works is through this kind of relationship, this family connection. It's called covenant. From the beginning of Genesis through the end of Revelation, the way that he reaches out to us as his children is by binding himself, promising himself to us in relationship. So if you hear that as a son or daughter, it's hard for me to hear these words spoken from a good father knowing that I don't have any good examples of earthly fathers. We'll get to that in a little bit. But it's hard for me to hear that as a son, knowing where he comes from. In verse 9, he talks about those earthly fathers. We've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. I'm going, "Uh, I don't know if you saw my past. I didn't have an earthly father that disciplined me. I didn't have a respect for them at all. So forgive me for projecting on any of y'all, but that was hard for me to hear. please, if you hear the word discipline, it's not punishment. It's not the Greek word he's using here. It's paideia. It's instruction for a specific purpose. It's like if your coach takes you to the gym and he says, all right, we're going to start training. You're saying, okay, this is going to hurt, right? He's like, absolutely. It's going to be the best pain you've ever had. Ready? Let's go. And he works you through. He's not just punishing you. Because you've got weakness, it needs to leave the body, right? He's training you. He's instructing you for a good purpose. There's some outcome that he knows better than you do where you need to go. If you've seen the recent movie, The Boys in the Boat, the coach isn't the best example ever, but he's really good in the fact that if they don't get it right, guess what they're going to do again? They're going to start it all back over. He does this about 50 times in the movie, right? Do it again, boys. Because they need to learn, they need to train, they need to get their rhythm down so that they know what's going on. If you hear that word discipline and it has negative connotations, then shift because it's from a good father. It's instruction, it's training, and he knows what he's doing. It's not like we're in the gym and you call over somebody to spot you and they have no idea what's that? That's a dumbbell. No insult. It's weights that you have to pick up. God the Father knows what discipline and training and instruction He has for you. And if you're like me, you have earthly fathers that are not necessarily examples you want to follow. That's hard for me to hear. Some that we didn't respect. Some that seem to have no purpose in their discipline. Which seemed more like punishment, or bitterness, or revenge, or just some response that didn't go anywhere. If I can frame this, and especially for young people, if you're coming out of a context and there's a lot of buzzwords that are going around, podcasts and a lot of other places about de-churched and the, this next generation that doesn't seem to have any connection. If you're one of those, and this would—I didn't have that language when I was in my 20s but that's exactly what i went through if you're sitting here this morning and you think i can't have a relationship with a earth sorry with a heavenly father because my earthly father seemed like they weren't a good example i couldn't respect them so i can't respect him i understand that was a huge roadblock and i didn't even realize it i rebelled and i went in so many different directions for so long please hear what this passage is saying It's saying if you had, if you've ever forgotten that there's a good father who wants good things for you, it's right here. Not because you have to relate to him through your earthly father, but you get to relate to him through your heavenly brother, through God's own son. Hear this from J.I. Packer. He says, God has not left us to guess what his fatherhood amounts to by drawing analogies from human fatherhood, whether they were good or bad or we respected them or not. He said that's not the, the point that we need to see our heavenly father through the lens, the often clouded and painful and traumatic lens of our earthly fathers. He says he, God, revealed the full meaning of his relationship, of this relationship, once for all through his own incarnate son his only begotten son, the only son, the son whom he loved, he sent here for you and I so that we would know how to relate to our, our spiritual heavenly father. That is beautiful. That is so deeply freeing for me, both as a son who can't imagine a father like that and as a father who wants to relate to their, their, my own children, my own son and daughter, Better than I ever had an example. I get to because Christ gives me that example. Okay, so when the Father addresses us as sons, He does so in His Word. We cannot miss when Hebrews quotes from Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12, which is what this quote is from, we cannot miss that the author of Hebrews is saying, if you don't know what to consider about Jesus, go to his word. If you don't know where this addressing as sons comes from, go to his word. God, as a good father, has actually revealed his purposes, his plans, his will, his loving fatherly care in his word. Go there. This is what he says. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. nor be weary when reproved by him. Why not? For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He trains you. He instructs you. He works you over till you get it right. And sometimes I think, Well, I'm thick-skulled, and i got to learn the hard way all the time. Is that right, God? And he says, No. He gives us a parable that says, The servant who is Faithful in little will be faithful in much. So, wow, I really want to be faithful in little. I want to get the little instructions so I can move on to bigger instructions. But here we cannot miss that his heavenly care is woven into this. He treats us as sons, not just as forgiven servants. Remember the prodigal son? That was his expectations. He's rehearsing as he walks down that long road, the long driveway, back home. Dad, I'm not worthy to be your son. Just treat me like a servant. That will be enough, just so that I can be around you. Remember the father's lavish care on that son? Before he even finishes his sentence, he's hugged, and he says, there's no way I can treat you just as a servant. You're my son. That's the fatherly discipline that we need to that we need to receive and to understand. And he gives us, again, two ruts that he doesn't want us to fall into. He says, don't regard it lightly. That's a problem. In other words, one of the other translations says, don't shrug it off. Don't let it just be brushed off and, okay, I'll plod ahead next time. I've got to, you know, grin and bear it or something. Don't, don't take it lightly when the Father Discipline, when he trains, when he instructs. Don't become indifferent to his refinement. And the other rut is the not be weary. That seems to be more pertinent to this audience that the Hebrew author is trying to address. He says, don't be weary or faint-hearted. Don't, don't regard it lightly, but also don't be weary. It's not another beatdown. It's not an unbearable burden. And don't let it turn into... Self-pity. You're not a victim of the father's good care. Don't let it twist you towards anger or distrust, or in my heart, it was so easy to resent the ways that a poor example of an earthly father treated me. Don't fall into that. He says, because, verse 7, God is treating you as sons. He's loving you with instruction so we can trust that our good Father's discipline is actually for our good. There is a plan and purpose in every single ounce of it. He wants good for us, for us in the here and now, for us to see our redeemed past, how that grows us, and for us to hope in a better future. And like we saw last week, The race that is set before us is paralleled with the joy that is set before Christ. I think in terms of that, this quote from uh, Dr. Michael Kruger is really helpful. He says, Sometimes God the Father disciplines us because we do wrong things. Yes, sometimes it's because we're sinning. We have to pay attention to that. And the last point of the Spirit working in us holiness is going to get there. But sometimes... We're just missing something. Sometimes he brings discipline just to make us better, or I would add, more joy-filled runners. Have you all ever got through that? Like halfway through, you realize, I could either really despise this, or I could finish it and actually enjoy it. Now, maybe that's my sarcastic tone coming across in how I run, But please take that on a couple of levels. There's a lot in life that God wants us to actually enjoy for our own good and so that we can see the good providence of a sovereign, faithful, loving Father. And this is what it means that we can believe by faith, that we can actually live on a daily basis every step of the race with the assurance of things yet unseen. The certainty of what God has said is true. That He has set this glory. He has set this joy. He has set this wonderful promise in front of us. That's what we get to run for. Now, I'm going to pause for a second. If you have a hang-up along the way. If you haven't yet considered Jesus as your Savior, I earnestly plead with, I'm hopeful that that will be something that this message from the author of Hebrews spurs in you. If you have a hesitation to view the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, as a good gracious and loving Father, then please hear His promises. Not just my lame examples. But if you, if you have any hang-up, okay, this is what I'm supposed to consider, this is who I'm supposed to know, how does any of that happen? This is not a message that you need to do something better. Because the point he gets to in the last two verses verse 10 and 11, that the way that this all happens, the way that we can even come to Jesus in the first place, much less consider Him as our Savior, the way that we can view a good Heavenly Father doing everything in our lives that He does, from a good Father to His children, the only way that that can be true and that can actually happen is if you rely on the Spirit. This cannot be something you fabricate in your own thinking or in your own hearts or in your own desires or in your own choices or in your own actions. It must be something that the Spirit, because of His promises, produces in you. And as you run, you realize, I am too weak to do this. Good. Yes, you are. You're way weaker than you thought. And that's why you need to rely on the Spirit. That's how we can actually do any of this. So the last point is when he says in verse 10 and 11, right, sorry, the last part at 9, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? And here he's really specifically contrasting our earthly fathers. They disciplined us for a short time, and hopefully it was good and we respected them for it. But how much more should we be submitted or subject to our spiritual father, the father of spirits, and not just make it through, not just endure, but live and thrive. It says, for they disciplined us for a short time. Our earthly father disciplined us for a short time, whether that was as long as we were in the home. Greek culture, you know, 16, 17, 18, the young sons would go out on their own, and they either go to university or find a career or make their way in the world, and That's all the time that the Father had. Or whether he's comparing the short earthly life of having earthly fathers to the eternity of having a heavenly father, that's a short time. They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he, God the Heavenly Father, disciplines us for our good. And the missing comparison is for the good for the rest of eternity, that we may share in what? In his holiness. How do you consider the holiness of God a good thing? Where in your life do you need that encouragement, that spurring on, that trainer or coach to come along beside you and say, holiness is actually the best part of your life? You can rely on the Spirit to train you in holiness. Because it says, verse 11, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, a truer thing has never been said. (laughs) Yeah, running hurts. Working on the gym hurts. Uh, Whatever other exercise. It's painful, right? Much less discipline, training, working with an earthly father or as an earthly father. It's hard. It doesn't seem pleasant. And here, don't miss the word pleasant there. It's joy. The Greek word behind that is the same as the joy that was set before him. It seems painful rather than joyful. But later, at some point in the future could be the next moment it could be somewhere in eternity. Later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained, disciplined, instructed by it. This only works with the Holy Spirit's work. Here he's talking about the Father of spirits. He's talking about the Father's spirit, the Holy Spirit, the way the Holy Spirit works. He applies the truth of the Son's redemption fully to us so that we can be new creations and new creations that get to live and thrive and flourish not as sinful, broken, old people. I'm not what I once was. But He lives in us and dwells in us so that we get to be fruitful. The fruitful spirit, the fruit of the spirit is what he produces. And it's not some formulaic thing that that just kind of poofs out of nowhere. He says he grows us. It seems painful now. But he disciplines us for our good, for our joy, so that we can share his holiness. Some of you all right now feel like this discipline, this Part of your race, this moment of running is really painful. Often in those moments, it doesn't help to say, but God's got a purpose. But please hear that he does. It doesn't help when you're on a long ruck march and you got 83 pounds in your pack to say, oh, there's only a couple more miles. But there's just one more step. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is you're not relying on your own strength to make it. Don't rely on your own strength to make it. You can't rely on your own strength to make it because only when you're subject, when you submit to, when you rely on the Father of Spirits to live and thrive and flourish, only then with the Spirit's strength can you take another step. Only then, when you rely on the Spirit to strengthen those weary muscles, to say those hard words, to embrace what God has for you, a good and sovereign Father has for your daily walk of faith, that's when later your life will yield the Holy Spirit's fruit of righteousness. This is such a beautiful thing. So to close and to apply these application questions, to consider our Savior, to remember the Father and how He addresses us as sons and to rely on the Holy Spirit is to ask these questions. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Not know about Him Not have heard of him in some time in the past, whether that was Sunday school or youth camp or whatever, but do you right here, right now, know Jesus Christ, the living Son of God as your Lord and Savior? If that is a eh, I'm not sure yet, after the service, elders will be in the front, I will be around, other people just turn to somebody next to you and say, How do I know this Jesus guy? And if you're asking that question, he already is doing the work of the Holy Spirit to want to know you. That's what even gives us the first inkling of thought in the first place. Do you daily consider then? Do you take what you know of Jesus? And if you don't know much, there's lots to be learned here. Dive in. Do you take what you know and consider that in light of your daily steps? What am I about to step in? Where do I need more strength or more endurance? What do I need for this next moment? How does Jesus empower, enable, train me, instruct me, guide me, love me, care for me, nurture me there? Do you daily consider his saving grace and the gospel Reign the goodness of the gospel in your moment-by-moment life. Next, you relate to God not just as some deity up there someplace. Yeah, that's nice. He's there. But is God, your heavenly Father, who addresses you, He addressed you this morning in His word as His Son. That doesn't ignore you if you're a daughter, that raises you up to a higher category. You're a a precious status in his eyes. You're his child. What wouldn't a father do for their child? What father, when their son comes to them and asks for a loaf of bread, would they give them a stone? Of course not. Do you know God as your heavenly father and do you see yourself as his child? And this frames everything. Everything. It's easy to talk about on a Sunday morning. It's really hard to live every other day of the week. That God is a good, sovereign Father. And that He wants good things for you and me. And lastly, do you see every aspect of your life of faith as training opportunities? Do you see tomorrow morning when you get to go to work, do you see that hard conversation in the next weeks as you have with your spouse or your family or your coworkers or your boss or your kids? Do you see every moment as ways that God is training, instructing, and disciplining you wisely but good to produce His holiness so you can share in His holiness and so that He will produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness in your life? lead with you, that you can. It's good that you should, and you get to enjoy that. So if you don't know, if you have any doubt, don't walk out of this building. Don't leave this moment without going to Jesus to consider him. And if it helps, like we saw last week, there's a great cloud of witnesses around you. They can witness. They can be a testimony. They can give examples of the faithfulness of a good father in the midst of a lot of hard life. Please pray with me. God, our Heavenly Father, you are good. The ways that you work, even though they seem hard, they're always good. They were good for us in the moment and they were good Good for us in eternity. And I pray now that everyone here, especially those that are in the middle of hard things that have a hard time hearing the goodness of a Heavenly Father, I pray that they would at least lean into you, that they would at least take one muscle leaning, one change of stance, one step in that direction, that your spirit would empower and encourage them, and they would maybe even ask, What if I could? What if I could trust in a good Father in this hard thing and that your Spirit would overwhelm them with your grace so that they can know on the other side without a shadow of a doubt, they can know by faith that they were empowered and encouraged by your Spirit. I pray this because I want to know you more. I want to see you at work. And I want to see your glory fill the earth.